Hola, como esta? Mi amo es Jacob Rudy Hornstein. Welcome into Designated Chatter. This is the place to be. Welcome, Ethan. It is great to be alongside with you yet another day. Yes, thank you again for having me on. Another great guest today, Jerry Krasnick. Um, you know, I, he spoke a lot of valuable knowledge to us. Um, great, Another great guest that we have lined up here for you guys. But before we get into guests, Jacob, what do we got on the schedule for today? Ethan, I just want to say I'm sorry before we get sorry. into what it is, because obviously you know what we're, we're going to be talking about. Yes, the Chicago Cubs went from leading their division to currently nine games back of the division in a span of 12 days. So, yes, first we're going to talk about the collapse of the Chicago Cubs. Possibility, the, 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 the end of the reign. It's entirely possible at this coming all-star slash trade deadline. Uh, we may no longer see the Brizzo boys. It's uh, Yeah, you know, the it, we did. We had a really bad um, part in this last, you know, and you would thought, you know, coming off of May and they're, you're just like, oh, my God. Or Mayor June, it's whatever one that they had the best record in the NL for that month. And then that very next month, take a shit like they did. And, like, again, that is the game of baseball. There's not much to it. You can win 14 in a row, then lose 14 the next, you know, two weeks. It's just it's, how the game is being played. It's kind of weird how they went about it, too, because they, they toss a combined no-hitter to the Los Angeles Dodgers, the hottest team in the MLB at the time, or second hottest. And then the Dodgers proceed to win their next nine, and the Cubs proceed to lose their next nine. It's it's funny how baseball works, but at the same time, it sucks how baseball works. And like again, injuries have really affected this team a lot. And I've watched every game this season. I've been to a bunch of games this season. Um, team chemistry, man, it's it definitely can affect a lot a lot of teams' playing ability. And you know, this season, it's not short. It's not easy. It's hard and long. And you really, you know, you spend all your time with the guys that you have in these, you know, in these dugouts. And, you know, not just at the baseball field, in the hotels, on the buses, too. You spend every single second with them. And our team chemistry, you know, yes, you know, we have a great team. Um, we did have some few hiccups here and there that caused um, Rossi to pull a few players for some, uh, let's just say, not so much class acts on the field. Um but then again, yeah, you know, everything is just going downhill right now. But from my perspective, yes, I really think we should sell. You know how much great prospects we could get for Craig Kimbrell right now, being one of the best closers in the National League? Yes. You know, yes. We, can, we, we can pick up so much just selling everyone. And, yes, I know it's hard to say goodbye to those 2016 players, but, yeah, you know, if you want to have another one, you got to do stuff like that. At the same time, I – it's entirely possible they can get out of this uh, trade deadline and still be a contender come next year because obviously you have uh, a good amount of free agents coming to the free agent pool in the offseason. They can add a third baseman because I mean, it's pretty obvious Chris Bryant will not be in a Cubs jersey, whether it be being traded or re-signing with a different team. He's hinted. Well, that that's He's taken like, up by David Bodie. Bodie Bodie's already covered Bryant yeah. past this season. Yeah, Bodie. Personally, when you look at it from a GM standpoint, you always want to get the most out of a player before he gets the chance to move 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 out. And if uh, the Cubs GM is smart, come this trade deadline, they will build up on pitching prospects. That is where the Cubs are lacking the most. Yes, they they have their set in stone lineup. They do have a couple players in which they would like to, I guess, refurbish or try and alternate. And Jock Peterson hasn't been what they hoped for. That's that's kind of obvious. But at yeah. the same time, that the, the pitching rotation, uh, Adbert, uh, Alzali, Jake Arrieta is nowhere near his Cy Young uh, contending season. And, uh, and they, they've lost the what the Chicago Cubs ace rotation mojo was. So they need to take this opportunity. Maybe if they do ship off both Bryant and Kimbrell, take the, this opportunity and build for a stronger future. And this, this could be the start of yet another great dynasty for the Cubs, or it, it all depends how they go about it. 
you never know. It could be a, a Nolan Arenado situation where they just ship him off for pennies, or they, you know, I, I, I think this will be a really good stepping stone for them, and it'll be exciting to see where they land as well. It's I, I to see totally. them end out in L.A. I, I don't think anyone wants anyone. If L.A. grabs this, I think it's just you're, you're, you're talking about a super team, and then it just doesn't make for an exciting land, like storyline. Um, it's baseball. It's going to happen. Teams teams are going to fail at the worst times to fail, but it's going to happen, and, you know, fan bases and teams just got to fight through it. Um, but, like, again, I see a lot of positive outlooks coming on this trade deadline, um, getting some young, younger talent trying to rebuild here. Um, but enough for buying and selling. How about the All-Star break? Coming up in a few few days, ain't it? Oh, yes, it is. The All-Star game, celebrity game, it's all coming back. Oh, yes, and uh, what an exciting time it's going to be. This is uh, an area that's going to breed home runs, so obviously the Home Run Derby. We're definitely, I mean, I don't want to jinx it. We are going to see a couple 500-foot home runs in the Home Run Derby. That's just, oh, totally that's just what Colorado breeds. And uh, should, we just, should we go ahead and make our projection through? When we talked about it recently, but do you want – who is your projection? I, you told me, but are you still yes. set on So for all the fans out there, I'm just going to name off all the participants in this year's Home Wonder. So there's Shohei Otani. Pete Alonzo, Trevor Story, Trey Mancini, Salvador Perez, Matt Olson, Juan Soto, and Joey Gallo. The brackets have already been announced. I'm pretty sure you can find those anywhere um, on MLB social media platforms and our social media platforms. But prediction-wise, I really, and I know we talked about this beforehand, I really see the comeback kid winning this home run derby. Trey Mancini has nothing to lose. I am going to say that because, uh, you know, you look at these guys, you're like, you know, everyone, of course, is like Otani or Alonzo or, you know, I I really, really like Trey's game. Yes, he doesn't hit those 500-foot dingers, but, you know, he's a great ball player and he's fought through a lot to stay where he is. And, you know, it would be awesome to see him win, and that's who I'm voting for this year. I got Mancini winning it all. Like I told you. Uh, yes, that would make for an amazing storyline. I, I think everyone would love to see Mancini just pull off that upset, especially when Mancini is facing – no, it wasn't Joey Gallo. He's facing Matt Olson, one of the top five home run leaders in the MLB at the moment. And Matt Olson, just a power hitter. Uh, when you think of Trey Mancini, you think of an overall just kind of compact hitter. And uh, yes, Colorado is going to help him out. But I mean, my pick, it's, it's kind of hard, but I think the final is definitely going to be, um, it's going to be Joey Gallo and Pete Alonzo, in my opinion. It's going to be Joey Gallo versus Pete Alonzo, the two prolific power hitters of each, um, co- each, uh, wow, each league. Sorry, I almost said conference. The American <laughs> League versus the National League. It's going to be a power slug off in Colorado versus both of them and then deciding off of that it's extremely difficult because (laughs) it's it's going to be a fun one it's going to be you may even get a little hint of what happens back in cleveland uh back in 2019 when uh vlad guerrero said a a hit had a record amount of home runs yet still didn't win it's entirely joey gallo does that um i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm going with Pete. I'm going with Pete. I'm gonna to have to stick with my boy. I knew it, and I knew, you, and you should. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if I had a Cub up in there, that'd be the one that I would be cheering for. But it's rough. No, we ain't that good. <laughs> but at the yeah, uh, I'm not gonna be surprised if Gallo wins. He's my second pick. He's my second pick. I'm going with Pete first, sticking with the big guns, and then Joey Gallo with an upset. Okay, so I mean. Shohei Atani, we, we didn't mention him at all. I mean, this is the top home run leader right now. He's also, and we're just facing on him. I mean, the, he's the favorite. I, I he hits balls hard. It, it, I just he hasn't taken batting practice all year. He has not yeah. taken any lick of BP all year. So he's used to 90 95 consistently. He just runs into balls constantly. 
And I mean, you need, it's a lot harder to consistently hit home runs on, in a BP standpoint, because you have to have that, that bad angle and that launch angle with a ball that's not coming in as hard as a, let's say a 90 mile per hour fastball. So when you look at someone who hasn't really practiced hitting home runs on a BP level, I don't, I just don't think he, he flourishes, but at the same time, anything can happen. That's a monstrous hitter right there. So it's definitely going to be Shohei versus Pete in the semi. I know that for a fact, unless Juan Soto pulls off or upset in that one. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Again, it should be interesting. Got a great, you know, set of guys, eight great or great eight. That's what we'll name it. The, the great, great eight, eight yeah, steps yeah. in for the home run derby, but not for the home run derby. Let's get to the actual all-star game, right? You know, they came out with starters and position reserves and all that. Um, earlier on ESPN. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the lineup for the American League All-Stars. Um, catching from the Royals is Salvador Perez. Batting first and playing from Toronto is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Batting second, playing from Toronto, Marcus Simeon. Batting third, nope, batting fourth, playing third from Boston, Rafael Devers. Batting fifth from Boston, too, Xander Bogart's playing shortstop. Um, Mike Trout, he is not going to play. We don't know the replacement that they have for him yet. Once we find that out, I will definitely post that on all social media. But yet they got Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, and Teoscar Hernandez out in the outfields. And then, of course, Shohei Otani at DH. Um, um, what, I, do you, what do you think about this, this lineup right here? I think it's an absolute... Uh disappointment that Cedric Mullins is not a starter on the American League. How can you lead the entire league in hits, be top three in average, and be considered a reserve on the All-Star team? That is where you run into the fact this is all a popularity contest, and it's kind of gotten away from the best in the league is what is shown at the top. Because in all honesty, Aaron Judge, yes, he's hitting above the 280 and 290 uh, line, but he doesn't deserve – I mean, Mike Trout as well. He only played 40 games, maybe. He's been out for a month, and he's still made top of voting. Exactly. You know? Because he's the best – he's the face of baseball, and that's just what's popular among the games. So it's not about who's got the best stats out there anymore. Aaron Judge was destined to make it before the season even started. Because he's that guy that everyone knows. Exactly. And that's why you see a lot of these, you know, top-notch players from this season are all in the reserves. Because, like, again, for people who don't know, all the starters from both sides are picked out by you guys, the fans themselves. They get to pick all the starters. Everyone else, the reserves and pitchers, come from, what, what is it, coaches? Um, yeah, the pitchers. They, 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 beat themselves. That's the but, pitchers are more or less about the stats. That's yeah. more. That's more statistical. The coaches really understand how, what they're picking, and yeah, if it was voted on by the players, you'd see a different lineup uh, among the uh, pitchers. But uh, you're not going to see the best pitcher in the game at the All Star game, Jacob Degrom, who is taking the time to spend with his family, which is a, a great move by him. Obviously, you want to spend as much time as possible with the yes. Again, as um, I'm yeah. just going to go real quick right here through the reserves for the. AL, Mike Zunino, Jose Altuve, Bo Bichette, Carlos Carrera, Matt Olson, Jose Ramirez, Jared Walsh, Michael Brantley, Joey Gallo, Adolis Garcia, Cedric Mullins, JD Martinez, and Nelson Cruz. But again, Mike Trout has to be replaced. Who do you got? Mike Trout in the outfield. I mean, Cedric Mullins is going to be the starter. You're, you're probably yeah. going to find another reserve. Don't be surprised if it's someone, say, uh, ooh, that's tough. Uh, there's a lot of good outfielders across the AL. I mean, uh, George Springer is, is a possibility, um, but he was hurt too long uh, when you think about outfielders. I mean, who do you think of? I mean, in the AL? It's entirely possible. I mean, you can bring in ah, – that's, that's, that's rough. That's, that's tough. Yeah, as I say, it definitely, definitely isn't easy. You know, you got a lot of – Great players. Um, again, I totally agree with you. Cedric, definitely could get that starting role. I hope he does. I really do. 
He's done so much this season. He's definitely one of the most underlooked guys just because of the team he plays for. And it's so sad, but yeah, he definitely, man, he's a beast out there. And I can't wait to see, you know, the AL take off. Um, I mean, we look at pitchers, relievers, you know, Shane Bieber, Garrett Cole, Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rondon, Matt Barnes, Aroldis Chapman, Liam Hendricks, Ryan Presley, Gregory Soto. I mean, you got the AL stacked. I mean, you got you got a lot of great pitchers, you know, Garrett Cole especially. You know, he's always kind of rumored what was going to happen once the foreign substance started kicking in. But You say the AL stacked. Let's, yeah. Go ahead and uh, announce that uh, NL uh, NL lineup right there. That's what I was about to get. To. You gotta say the best for last, don't you, Jacob? You gotta uh-huh. say the best for last. All right, here's the starting lineup that you guys have chose for the NL All Star game. Catching is Buster Posey from San Francisco. Playing first base from Atlanta, Freddie Freeman. Playing second base, um, Adam Frazier. Was he? Was he recently traded? No, he's you know Adam Frazier. You're, you're, thinking, of, you're thinking of Todd Frazier. You're thinking of Todd. Frazier. There's two Frasers on the Pirates. Adam Frazier is their second baseman, switch hitting second baseman. All right, third base, St. Louis Nolan Arenado, shocker, right? Um, shortstop San Diego Fernando Tatis, another shocker. Um, and then the three outfield players they got Ronald Acuna Jr. from Atlanta, and then two Cincy boys out there, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. Absolutely no surprise in the outfield, and yes, arguably the right decision uh, by the fans. They all Castellanos and Winker deserve to be out there. That's no doubt about that. Acuna is only out there. I hate to say it because of the home runs. That's the only reason why Acuna's out there. I mean, yeah, he stole a ton of bases. He's hitting for a decent average, and he, he deserves to be out there. Uh, one of the best fielders in the in the in the uh, outfield game. But another pick that infuriates me, just like the AL, is Nolan Arenado at for a third base. Trey Turner, not Trey Turner, Justin Turner, easily one of the best third basemen in the game at the moment, out-hit Nolan Arenado in every single statistical category, didn't even make the All-Star team, not even a reserve. Mm-mm. Not even a I reserve. That's, it's, again, the St. Louis Cardinals have an extremely huge fan base. So, uh, the reason why he is there, no one Arenado, he's he has he's having a great first year as a Cardinal, but he's not an All Star starter compared to who else should be there. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's same thing. You know, no one just just took the spot over Chris Bryant was actually leading third base categories for a while, and then the last day, Nolan jumped him. Um, but then again, I, I'm, I'm a Cubs fan, Jacob, and I'll, I will even tell you this. Chris Bryan did not deserve to start at third base. Yes, I voted for him because, yeah, I want to see my Cubs in there, but it just it, it all runs back to the starting lineups aren't the true best of the game for that year. This isn't a thing that happens every 10 years. This is a thing that happens every year. So you want the best from that year only to be in this game. You don't want, oh, well, you know, he was the MVP back in 2019. Well, I don't care about 2019. I don't care what he did. You know, Mike Trout, he shouldn't even be on this list. He hasn't played maybe more than 40 games this season. You know? Yeah. Yes, Mike Trout, he was the face of baseball. LeBron James of baseball. The Michael Jordan of baseball. Whatever. But you just, when you have these all-star games, you want to see the competition of the best of the best. And you don't want to throw someone in there who's maybe not their highest right now. You want Nine hot guys versus another nine hot guys and see what they can do. You don't want to throw, you know, yes, Mike Trump, but, oh, yeah, maybe he's not bagging so good. You know, these players that, you know, are just in there because of their name. And, like, again, thank God for reserves. Thank God for pitchers. And some of those people who don't get it get to make the cut. Speaking of reserves, let's list them off right here. From Philly, JT Romuto. From Atlanta, Ozzie Albies. Um, from Chicago, Chris Bryant. From San Francisco, Brandon Crawford. From San Diego, Jake Cronensworth. I think I messed that up. Jake Cronensworth. Cronensworth, yeah. Arizona. Um, Eduardo Escobar. Big name right there. He's been doing good lately. Um, Max Muncy from the Dodgers. Trey Turner from Washington. Mookie Betts from the Dodgers. Brian Reynolds from Pittsburgh. Kyle Schwarber from Washington. Juan Soto from Washington. And Chris Taylor from the Dodgers. 
Brian Reynolds, another uh, infielder hitting. Yes. Uh, actually, outfielder hitting over 300 ended up on the reserves because he's not a big name. Uh, he's on the Pirates. So, the, the t- uh, another, exactly. Another name that flourished through the first half that unfortunately couldn't make it. But it's a good thing they're still there. He's going to get a at bat more than likely. He's going to be able to take the field. That's all that really matters. And that's it's all sentimentality there. But um, yeah. This is going to make for an exciting All-Star game. I'm mostly excited for the home run derby, as I think everyone is, because when you think of Colorado, you think of home runs. So this is going to be in a very exciting All-Star game. Ethan, thank you so much for, you know, continuously doing this podcast with us as we continue on to have another great interview. Jerry Krasnick. Makes appearance, has made appearances all over MLB Network. If you don't mention recognize the name, just... Give him a look on Google, a, a prolific writer in the sports editing industry, currently representing the players agency very well. And just can't wait for everyone to hear what he has to say and just the career outlook that he has. Take us out, even. You want me to take you out? Yeah. I'll take you out with the pitchers because you, you just skipped me right over that. Oh so God. the starting pitchers for the NL, Corbin Burns from Milwaukee, Hugh Darvish from San Diego, Jacob DeGrom, who's not now pitching from New York. Kevin uh, Guzman from San Francisco. German Marquez from Colorado. Trevor Rogers from Miami. Zach Wheeler from Philly. And Brandon Woodruff from Milwaukee. And the relievers, Josh Hader from Milwaukee. Craig Kimbrell from Chicago. Mark Melenkin from San Diego. Mark And Alex uh, Reyes from St. Louis. So, I mean, you got, like, again... Big rounds, not pitching due to some family stuff, right? Correct? Is that what yeah, I heard? He's, he's, he's taking the time to be with family. Awesome. Well, I will officially take us out now. Ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, a very, very special guest to us and hopefully to you guys. We hope you enjoy him. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned after the break for Jerry Krasnick, and we will see you soon. It is the time we have all been waited for. At least I've been waiting for. Ethan, I know you've been waiting for. We yes, are joined by an amazing esteemed guest, a uh, very important and high-level guest. Uh, very surprised to get him on the show. Jerry Krasnick, Senior Advisor for Player Agent and Media Relations for the MLBPA, MLB Players Association, for those not understanding that abbreviation there. Mr. Krasnick, Jerry, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. I, I, like I said, I can't understand or I just fathom how busy the schedule is, especially in this comeback year coming off of COVID. So thank you for joining me and Ethan on today's episode. Yeah, good. Uh, thanks for the invite. It's good to be here. Of course, of course. And, um, you know, we'll just jump right into it. And obviously, and the position that you're in now, a huge position, rep- being able to represent the entire player agency of the MLB and you spent your entire career as a sports writer editor for ESPN, Bloomberg, the Denver post, Cincinnati post, just holding as many positions as a sports writer as possible. I had an illustrious career as a writer. And as you move forward into the position you're in at the moment, could you speak on how your time as a writer prepared you for the role you're in now? Well, yeah, I mean, I spent, 38 years as a journalist, you know, which is pretty amazing when you think about it, right? When I got out of college in 1980, you know, right through 2018 and mostly covering baseball. And, you know, I think, uh, I think I'm probably honest to say that it is one of those jobs where it never really felt like work. You know, you always felt very fortunate to be doing it and time passed very quickly. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I got to see a lot of amazing things and watch a lot of things in the evolution of baseball and in journalism, you know, both fronts, really a lot of change through the years. And then uh, in 2018, when my time at ESPN um, uh, ended, uh, the people at the Players Association were uh, generous and kind enough to bring me on in a in a new role. And so I've, you know, I've had to try to navigate a little bit of a change I guess in terms of what I'm doing but I honestly think that 
if you're in this business or probably any business, you really have to kind of be willing to reinvent. You know, you have to be flexible and and move in different directions. And so, you know, this job started out maybe a little bit more one way. I was doing a lot of uh, going into clubhouses and talking to players. And then all of a sudden, you know, a year and a half ago, you couldn't get into a clubhouse. And mm-hmm. I haven't even been back into a clubhouse since spring training of, of 2020. So, um, so now, you know, it's a lot more texting and emailing and rather than sort of conversations in the clubhouse, we've, you know, focused a little bit more on player related content and a lot of things like that. So it's constantly evolving, but, uh, never ceases to be interesting. That's for sure. Of course. And uh, being on as big of a platform as you are, do you understand the, like, the impact that you have being a part of the MLBPA? Or, or, or is it something that you had to like take in and be like, well, I'm, I'm really representing the entire, like what the players feel. I'm, I'm there and I'm just, I'm, I'm focusing on both sides. Do you understand like that impact that you have on the game? Yeah, it's just different. You know, I think when you're a writer or a journalist, uh, you're caught up on this sort of a hamster wheel almost. It's like you write a story and you get that big sugar rush of seeing your byline and maybe getting reaction to it, positive and negative. And, uh, you know, especially in the off season, there was a lot of chasing free agent signings and going to the winter meetings and working the lobbies and that sort of thing. And, then all of a sudden, you know, now that I'm in this role, um, you're not really out there for yourself as a journalist. You're part of an organization and the players are the constituents, you know. So um, for me, I felt like it wasn't that it, it's a bit of a transition, certainly, uh, because, you know, rather than focus on that day's story or the three interviews I have to get done today or the game I have to cover you know, you're probably thinking a little bit more long-term and as part of a group, uh, you know, what the ultimate interest, I guess, is what are you going to do today to advance the cause of players? So, um, you know, you go from being a sort of an observer to an advocate for players. And um, it it has been a bit of an adjustment for me, but um, I think that's one of the things I feel fortunate is that, you know, who can do something for 38 years and then all of a sudden say, well, now my job is different. And it's, you know, it's not like you can put it on cruise control and just do the same thing every year. So, um, you know, and especially in a time like now when, you know, this is a collective bargaining year and, and there's a lot of issues that have to be worked through. And so, you know, I've been around long enough to know that um, there are pivotal, you know, moments in history and, and this is certainly an important time for, for players and, and for the game in general. Of course. Of course. Um, so like you were talking about as your new role here in the MLBPA, you're the senior advisor for player, agent, and media relations. Um, what are some set in stone goals that you've set yourself for this new position? And have you achieved some of these goals already? You know, I think my first year, my goal was to just go into clubhouses and I had this box of about a thousand new business cards and I was going to hand out about as many as I could, you know? (laughs) So I probably got through about half of it and then uh, the, you know, you weren't in the clubhouses anymore. So, you know, I think, um, but it's changed a little bit, you know, now uh, what I've really, I've been able to kind of go back to my roots a little bit and we've started to do different projects, you know, uh, things that are important to players like, Every Friday, we're, we're highlighting a player who makes his major league debut. Um, you know, we've done a lot of stuff with uh, players who reach 10 years of service time. Like, it might not be that big a deal publicly, but I think when you look in the history of the game, you know, maybe fewer than 10% of the 20,000-plus guys who played in the game get to 10 years service time. So I think as a union you know, that's something you really have to recognize because players who do that really have to persevere through a lot of stuff, right? You know, performance injuries, different economic times and, and that sort of thing. So 
you know, I, we, I did stories last year. We did pieces on, uh, you know, players who were trying to do uh, things to like re- rehabilitate a town that had been devastated by a hurricane or, um, you know, there was one player, Diego Castillo, who um, uh, pitcher for the Rays, who uh, was going to become uh, pursuing his U.S. citizenship. You know, I think anytime maybe we can cast a light on players in a way that helps them relate to fans and humanizes them, you know, I think that's something that I like to try to do. And so, you know, like I said, it's been a lot of social media type of things, different campaigns and and um you know you you don't really i guess the thing is to set goals is a little tough because each week or each day might bring a different you know uh situation or or something you have to deal with that you can't expect so you can try to sort of work on different projects but on any given day six things might happen and and sort of change the course of, of your work day of course. And I guess to ex- expand on that question, um, how open do you have to be to change when you when you talked about every day could be a, a different instance? Like how open do you have to be to the fact that something could just pop up in a single moment's time and then you're going, you're flying across the country to tackle another situation? Like how, how, ad- like how open do you have to be to adversity in this role? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I, I haven't, on that front i haven't traveled at all so you know nobody nobody's traveled so i actually when i go to the all-star game it'll be the first trip i've made since like spring training of uh of last year um but you know so i think but in terms of just being flexible you know as a journalist that's what you deal with every day right you know you can be working on a on a story and all of a sudden something happens to send it in a different direction and you know you'll get you won't get a phone call back and then you'll get like four in an hour you know or so I I was always pretty flexible I think as a journalist um, with stories and especially as I said you know in this uh, day and age with Twitter and all the stuff during the hot stove season and and uh, you know the signings it, it can get pretty chaotic you know i went to a lot of winter meetings and it was just morning noon and night you know going Mm -hmm. here and there and so i like that you know i kind of like the uncertainty and and just not sitting down at at work and saying okay here's exactly what's going to happen you know i think the surprise element probably keeps a lot of us fresh i bet and moving on to uh just being able to represent like i said before the, the players as a whole is humongous and obviously the storyline of the pace of play initiative has made its way into the MLB over the past couple of years. And I mean, if you could speak on that, it'd be great. Is, is what you feel personally about the pace of play initiative also how the players feel about obviously COVID brought on the seven inning double headers and the time clocks and pitching clocks and, all of that. How, could you speak on how the players feel and how you feel the game is going, going to look like maybe in five years with this pace of play initiative? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to, you know, I guess put my finger on it. I certainly can't speak on behalf of players. You know, they're not a monolith. Like some players might feel mm-hmm. strongly about one thing or not so much. I mean, I guess obviously when you talk to people in baseball, they talk about, pace of play and and nowadays you know they're just um it's just a different kind of game right you know there there aren't as many balls put in play uh there are more foul balls so you know games that uh when i used to cover ball back in the you know the 80s or whatever you know games were two hours and 30 two hours and 40 minutes and and uh you know guys would put the ball in play more and and pitchers would pitch to pitch to the zone and pitch to contact. And now it's more of a strikeout power game. So, you know, certain things have lengthened it out. I mean, I guess what I would say is, look, I I think that regardless of the pace of play, um, you really look at the game now and there really are a lot of amazing things 
that are going on every single day, right? Like if someone goes to a game with Shohei Otani, I don't think they're looking at their watch saying, hey, it's, you know, <laughs> this much time has elapsed. You know, you get a guy who's doing something that nobody's done since Babe Ruth. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, Fernando Tatis or uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. or uh, Ronald Acuna, I mean, Jacob DeGrom, you know, you look at some of these guys and what they're doing is historic and just pretty amazing. I mean, in some ways, I think it's almost like, you know, in the 60s, when some of these Hall of Famers were in their early years, you see some really incredible talents out there. And, you know, I think that's one thing that regardless of when people talk about different initiatives or you know, different things, automatic strike zones and this and that, you know, the game is probably always better when the focus is on the players and some of the amazing things they do uh, athletically, you know, that really make baseball special. Do, do you feel that we are reaching the most exciting time of baseball since I'd say maybe the steroid era when everyone was paying attention to the home run ball and now that's becoming apparent with Shohei Otani being as prolific a power hitter since you said Babe Ruth do you feel that this is the most exciting time baseball has ever seen since the steroid era yeah I mean it's kind of hard to say I I guess you get kind of caught up in it it's easy to say this or that you know it certainly is a different game and you know a lot of the purists I guess like it liked it more when more balls were put in play you know is that an issue um you know, for some fans, I'm sure it's an issue. They'd rather see more action and more balls hit. Um, and, you know, that's something that probably maybe it's there are going to be swings of the pendulum, you know, and they'll come back to that uh, in future years. So, you know, in terms of the game in general, there certainly are some pretty amazing storylines. And like I said, you look at some of these, individual stories that they're, they're pretty compelling right you know you look at some of these things and they are must-see viewing so um that's for every fan to decide i guess in terms of what kind of style of play they like but um in many ways you know the game is really in a pretty interesting place when you look at especially the age of a lot of these guys i mean you know a tatis or an acuna or juan soto i mean that these guys are so young you know, they're, they're just babies and it, the mind kind of boggles at what they could achieve over the next, you know, 10, 15 years or, or more. It's, it, there's some pretty uh, incredible careers unfolding right before our very eyes. Oh, yeah. I totally agree with that one. You know, there's a lot of young, young players in the game. And those are those young players are the ones that are really taking over the game at this point right now. When you look at Tatis and Otani and players like that. But anyway. Um, on to the next question that I have for you. Um, so you've accomplished like against so much in the sports industry. What's one piece of advice you would give to someone that looks into your career or sports writing? What, what's that one piece of advice you look give to someone? Well, I mean, I, you know, when I started out, I, I always felt like, and the and the people who the sports writers that I really respected, you know, the 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 long timers, I always felt like it was more about uh, establishing relationships with people, you know, uh, so that they could trust you as a writer. Like you weren't there to, um, get a quick scoop at somebody's expense, you know? And I think some of that's been a little bit lost just because of social media. You know, sometimes people don't maybe think as much about the ramifications of what they write. There's really sort of a rush to get things out there. And I think sometimes, you know, that can um, uh, maybe lead to some mistakes and and some things that, you know, I think are a bit short-sighted. And I always felt like, look, if uh, I'm not going to write something, if it, maybe it's accurate, but does it have to be written? You know, I guess the point is every piece of information that you get doesn't necessarily have to go up on Twitter. And sometimes... Mm -hmm. If you're going to have a relationship with people, you can go by a player's locker and talk to them and put the, put away the notebook, you know? And uh, so, and I don't know that necessarily sometimes 
in the modern age that everybody kind of gets that distinction. You know, I just think there's a lot of uh, pressure on different people to post things and get things out there quickly. And so, you know, th that would be my big uh, piece of advice, I guess, is trying to just form relationships and get to know people and, and develop that sort of sense of trust between the two sides. And I think that's something that is just not easy to do, right? It's a long-term thing and you don't do it in a day, you know? And uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that uh, some of the, some of the younger people going into the industry would kind of keep that in mind as they approach the jobs. I guess expanding on that note that you basically building those connections. And I know I heard this saying a lot. I've, I keep hearing this saying a lot. Uh, it's not about what you know about, but about who you know. And I guess speaking on that as well, could you talk about how you maybe experienced that saying in a first person point of view? Like, was that saying really put into perspective when you made your way into the industry? Yeah, I mean, well, well, look, when I started out, um, you know, in the late 1980s, and I didn't really know that many people. I mean, I knew some veteran writers who helped me out, people like Jason Stark and Paul Hagen and some of the people in Philadelphia I had gotten to know. Uh, but in terms of just getting to know, uh, you know, players and front office people and managers and, you know, I, I guess to me it was just a thing of, trying to talk to as many people as you could try to be fair, you know, try to try to, because I think, look, if, if you burn somebody in a clubhouse or you write a, you know, if, if, if you write something that's harsh, you show up the next day, you know, that was certainly a rule. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it wasn't the most comfortable situation because a team wouldn't be playing that well. And, Players might be a little mad at what you wrote, but you have to show up and mm -hmm. allow them to vent, you know, face to face. And and um, so, but yeah, to me, I, I just felt like it took time, you know, and I probably still don't know quite as many people as I would like. Um, I look at some friends in the industry, you know, who Tim Kirkshen or, you know, different people uh, who just have amazing you know, catalogs of people they know everywhere. And, you know, I, but I used to love going to uh, the winter meetings because it was funny. You'd go and there'd be this huge uh, hotel and you'd go from point A to point B and you would have to stop like 12 times in between, right? Mm -hmm. You know, just because uh, there would be somebody else you'd see, a scout or someone. And, and uh, you weren't pumping all those people for information. You were just, you know, connecting on a human level. So, again, it's just a, back when I did it, it was sort of a day-by-day -day thing of trying to uh, meet people, work hard at it, and treat them well enough that, um, that they knew that if they came to you or there was a situation that you would be fair and that you would handle things professionally. Of course, it's all about all about the process. It's all about the long term process, like you said, and expanding back to your career. Um, you have uh, released your own personal book, License to Deal, a very uh, good memoir, not a memoir, but a reflection on your long and successful career. You go into like a behind the scenes perspective of this baseball industry with some very surprising and intriguing details that no one really would suspect from the outside in and storylines that you uh, gathered throughout your career. Uh, could you go into what really gave you the inspiration to put together this really fascinating cover? Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote a book. It was actually about 15 years ago now, and it was really about, uh, it was about the agent business, you know, player agents, because I've always felt that they were, sort of very influential in the business and so i followed a couple guys you know who were agents they represented dontrell willis back in the day and and just tried to write about that business and how it's kind of a seamy difficult business for people and uh, <laughs> uh very very uh could be i guess uh beneficial in some ways but uh 
very demoralizing in other ways and pretty cutthroat. And so tried to tried to sort of give a behind the scenes glimpse from uh, a couple guys at an agency who, you know, were smaller agents and in kind of smaller fish in a big pond and they became bigger fish in the pond. But um, so, yeah, that, that was the point of that. It was just a book at the time that I kind of was always fascinated with that element of the business. You know, I think the agents are uh, really very, they're very close to the players, you know, and uh, th- I think they play a role probably that's uh, sort of, you know, much more uh, uh, influential and probably not very well understood by the general public who uh, might've just seen Jerry Maguire and kind of think uh, that's the way it is for everybody. Yeah. Now, if you could uh, speak on one thing that I guess is underestimated about your profession, like maybe something people don't take into account getting into the career that you've undertaken throughout your uh, sports career. What's the one thing that is underestimated about the job? Well, I think, you know, I don't know that people really understand uh writers and journalists that well either you know i I really enjoyed my time uh part of i think when i did it all those years the best part of it was just sharing press boxes with writers and going into the clubhouse and and you know you're on the you're on planes and you're traveling to this city and another city and you're leaving the press box at two or three in the morning and i think a real sort of camaraderie developed among a lot of the writers through the years and you know honestly most of them really were uh you know good friends but also people who i thought really tried to do the job the right way and uh, you know really tried to they almost looked at it as kind of a noble profession i think and so you know i think maybe some of that's been lost a little bit too but for me it was certainly like uh you know, especially when I see it now, it's just very difficult to crack. There aren't as many openings and you don't see national baseball writers and you don't see, uh, you know, you have Zoom press conferences and and different things. And I hope it doesn't kind of uh, turn into something where all the romance gets sucked out of it because it was a heck of a lot of fun for an awful lot of years for, for a lot of us who did it. Yeah. Course. Um, so this is my last question for you, Jerry. Um, throughout, we ask all our guests this question because we think it's very important to find out, you know, what that one thing may be. Um, throughout everyone's professional career, they go through failures. What is one failure or setback that stands out to you in your professional career that you use to better yourself and maybe get the position you have today or make you the man you are today? Well, I mean, it's actually probably, I mean, Look, back in the day, I used to uh, apply for jobs and I had a pretty thick manila envelope with rejection letters. You know, I I remember hopping in a car and driving from Maine down to Florida and basically trying to get into newspapers just to meet sports editors. And back in the day, they would. So, um, you know, I think anybody who does this stuff really has to be prepared to deal with rejection. Uh, but you know what, if you just need kind of a thick skin and you can't take it personally, you know, so I think, and I think it's also about the way you bounce back from things. It's like everything else in life. It's almost similar to, you know, players or somebody else. It's like you really find out about people when things aren't great more than everybody can be sort of happy and upbeat when everything's going well. So, um, you know, and for me, being honest, like uh, I was at ESPN for 15 years and very late in my time there, I was told that uh, my contract wasn't going to be renewed. <laughs> and it was kind of a really surprise phone call and a major setback. And, you know, I probably felt sorry for myself for a few days. But then I said, look, this business doesn't really owe me anything. And a lot of really, really really good people you know in the previous year had gotten let go some of my best friends and some incredibly talented people and I think you just need to say look if 
you can't feel sorry for yourself. You have to kind of reinvent. You have to be creative. You have to get up every morning with sort of a, a sense of purpose and, and, you know, something that you want to achieve and, and, you know, that will make the ride easier and take you in a better direction. So, uh, no one's going to do you any favors, you know, it's just, uh, kind of the way it is. I think you have to be as, um, you know, like I said, uh, kind of imaginative and, and upbeat and, and creative as you can and, and try to carve out your own niche. Of course, of course. And, um, yeah, that'll be the end of our, our questions, but, uh, Jerry, do you happen to have a couple more minutes? Cause we're, we're reaching our favorite part of the show here. Okay. You do. Okay. All right. So sure. prepare to be caught in a pickle. Ethan, what time is it? It is time for the pickle. Pickle. It is time for the pickle. Be ready to go back and forth. We got a, a fun little segment for all of our guests, and this is our favorite part of the show. We hope. This is your favorite part of the show. We hope you had a good time so far. But the pickle, basically, we have 10 prepared questions for you about the baseball industry. Uh, take your time. They, these will be not be so easy easy questions for you. A lot of people think this is going to be a breeze. But okay. very difficult. Are you ready? I'll give it a shot. I'll All right. embarrass All right. myself. <laughs> All right. Number one, favorite team growing up? Favorite baseball team? Yes. Yeah, my favorite baseball team when I was a kid was the Red Sox because I grew up in Maine. Um, so my first team was the 67 Impossible Dream Red Sox uh, mm -hmm. with, you know, Carl Yastrzemski and mm -hmm. George Scott and, and the Jim Lonborg and that whole crew. Um, my, I, uh, full disclosure, my family, my older brothers, for whatever reason, since we lived in uh even though we lived in maine they were cleveland indians fans and and they to this day live and die with the indians so we had a really weird family dynamic when it come to our came to our baseball rooting interest <laughs> that, that is pretty interesting i don't think i've ever heard of any cleveland fans from up in the main area over there but definitely first definitely first number two what is the favorite storyline you covered favorite storyline um well, I mean, look, I will say that of all the events I covered over 30-something years, I, I don't recall one just hitting me between the eyes as much as uh, sitting in the stands when Kirk Gibson hit that World Series home run off Dennis Eckersley because oh. that, that was my first season in 1988, and I was at Dodger Stadium, you know, covering my first World Series, and this guy limps to the plate against the greatest closer in baseball. And you said, if he gets it out of the infield, he's going to be lucky. And next thing you know, the ball's sailing over the right field fence and the place goes from dead quiet to like just thunderous earth shaking applause, you know, cheering. And uh, so to this day, I don't think I've ever was as, as gobsmacked by an event as that one. And that was one of the greatest sports calls of all time with uh, Vin Scully as well. Definitely. Of course. So, yeah, that's, a, that's amazing. Wow. In the stands. First person. All right. Number three, what was your favorite or is your favorite ballpark? Well, that's a good one. Um, you know, of all the parks, I really love the, the new parks. I really love the Pittsburgh ballpark, um, PNC. Uh, the press box was way up in the clouds, but man, I, I, I just had an incredible view from behind uh, home plate, you know, and you could see the bridges and it had that sort of limestone stuff. I mean, so that place I think is phenomenal. I would also say like, I always loved Dodger Stadium with the palm trees behind center field. Um, I think... Uh, Camden Yards in Baltimore has always been, you know, I've considered an incredible place. And, you know, being a New Englander, obviously Fenway Park has a, has a special place for me. I, I just don't know that I aesthetically, I love it as much as some of the other places, but obviously from a standpoint of history and 
and the ballpark and everything around it, it's it's still a pretty amazing place. Of course. Yes, it is. All right, number four. What is your favorite ballpark snack? Oh wow. Um, you know, that's a tough one. I I guess I remember years ago going out to San Francisco and I think they had garlic fries out there. So that was pretty good. Um, you know, and they do have, uh, they do have a cheesesteak place or two in Philly. And since I'm in Philly, you know, I probably would have to say that. Although at this stage of my life, I try to stay away from uh, cheesesteaks <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> now, um, what about the, have you been out to city field, uh, Shake Shack? Um, I have, yeah, I have. Uh, is that when you feels a, enjoy? Field's a nice place too, and yeah, the, the Shake Shack is uh, that's quality ballpark fare, no question. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, number five. In your opinion, who do you believe the best player, MLB player of all time, is? Wow. Um, you know, I guess I would say, just from the standpoint of elect electricity and the things he did pretty hard to beat Willie Mays <laughs> I would think yeah. um, he just seemed to have a pretty amazing mix of skills and you know one of those guys you couldn't take your eyes off I will say when I was a kid uh, every Saturday when the games would come on uh, I really loved watching Roberto Clemente play you know his his arm in right field the way he could go from first to third or, you know, his speed and the way he ran, he was a pretty compelling player to watch. But like I said, uh, Willie Mays probably as a, uh, as a hitter and probably from the standpoint of a pitcher, boy, Sandy Koufax during his peak was, was pretty high up there. I, I assume, have you, have you gotten the chance to meet both Koufax and Mays? You know, I've come across them, I think through the years, uh, I've seen Koufax in spring training at different places. It's funny because during through the years, I think that those guys that I grew up with was like a little more daunting for me. Even as a writer, there was a little bit more of a hero worship thing, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I covered a hall of famers through the years, you know, Barry Larkin or Jeff Bagwell or Greg Maddox or Craig Biggio or Chipper Jones. I mean, with those guys, it was, you know, I was sort of established when they came in and it was a little more natural to cover them, but your boyhood heroes remain your boyhood heroes even later in life. So, you know, those guys through the years, uh, if I encountered them, I was probably pretty quiet, deferential, I think. All right. Number six, another hard one for you. What is the greatest of all time, in your opinion, MLB team or dynasty? Oh boy. Um, you know, the, uh, trying to think, you know, I guess you obviously go back to the Yankees for all those years. I, I think, you know, having gone to uh, my first big league beat was in Cincinnati, um, in the late eighties, you know, I don't know if they had the pitching, but those big red machine teams with, uh, you know, Pete Rose, Johnny bench, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez, you know, George Foster, like just amazing. So, you know, I don't know if they had the best pitching, but, you know, in any given series, I guess for a lineup, I'd probably those teams with Sparky Anderson and, uh, you know, they were amazing teams. Obviously, you know, there were the Oakland teams and, and, um, you know, like I said, the Yankees at various points, but those Reds teams, since I did get to know, some of those guys in Cincinnati when I was there, uh, they're pretty high up on the list for me. No, I've, I've asked this to a couple of other people, but I, I want to know from someone that has a lot of knowledge on the game. Do you think that, especially being a fan, I'm a huge Mets fan. Do you think that the 86 Mets team was the best one and done teams? Because obviously they, they had their instances where they ran into the drugs and then the team kind of fell apart. Do you think that was the best one and done team? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to think, you know, frame it uh, like off the top of my head. I will say that uh, when I was actually in Maine, um, I covered that World Series because the Red Sox were in it. My paper in Portland, Maine, uh, 
you know, sent me to Boston and to New York to, to cover that thing. And I saw the ball roll through Buckner's legs. And uh, that was a heck of a team, too. And I, I think the thing about that team, you know, with Dykstra and Carter and Ray Knight and, you know, Mookie and Kevin Mitchell, it's like, what amazing personalities, right? You know, Wally Backman. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes. That was a fun team, too. So I think that's why. For Mets fans, obviously, it was as good as they were. I think it was just like the way they played, how hard-nosed they were, and how colorful they were as a, as a team. You know, uh, I, I just think that those teams were, uh, you know, those Mets teams in the '80s, but that team in particular was was pretty pretty amazing team. Oh, yes, arguably. Um, now we talked about the greatest of all time, but personally. Who, do, who was your favorite player growing up? Well, it's funny because I, I already mentioned him in passing, but uh, since I was a, a Red Sox fan, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people like Yastrzemski or Tony C. I, I always loved George Boomer Scott. I just, I love the nickname Boomer. Uh, mm -hmm. He used to name his glove. Uh, you know, he, he had a, a, a necklace of, and he said it was made up of like second baseman's teeth I think <laughs> oh my God. He, was, he was a character you know and he he used to strike out a lot but he was a huge guy he was a magician at first base and so yeah I mean kind of a little bit of a different answer than people might expect but uh he was my favorite player and I would say like like I mentioned to you I think uh Clemente was a guy, I guess if I had seen him more, I probably would have, uh, would have, he probably would have been the guy just because uh, just how fast he was and uh, the way he would, you know, you pick the ball up at the wall and throw it on a line to third base was pretty incredible skills. So, uh, you know, the, those two, I guess, for different reasons, probably stand out in my catalog. All right. All right. Number eight, what is your favorite baseball movie flick which whichever uh you know i i like bull Durham, i think uh i just thought that it was very well written and some of the stuff i mean tim robbins wasn't particularly believable as nucleus as a pitcher but uh i i thought the way that portrayed minor league baseball had a lot of uh you know creative thoughtful writing and so um you know, I really liked Bull Durham. Um, you know, The Natural, I thought, was very good. Um, Field of Dreams maybe was a little too sentimental for me, okay. slightly. Um, <laughs> but those those ones certainly stand out in my uh, in my mind. And, you know, there are definitely a few others. Have you had a chance to get out to Iowa for the Field of Dreams? I have not. So maybe I would have... Uh, would have liked to have you guys maybe no, I would no, like no, no, no. We've, we've had uh i've we've had people talk about how like just visiting it out there kind of adds on to the this sentimentality of the uh entire movie so yeah and i definitely get it i mean i get the uh i get the feel you know the anybody who ever played uh catch with their dad when they were a kid can can relate to that so uh I get why a lot of people love it. And it was, it was a really good movie. I just probably not number one on my list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So number nine, moving on to number nine. Uh, as a writer, obviously moving into the, the stat era, just one stat that you really loved writing about. What was that one stat you looked at? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, I guess. Uh, you know, we went through different sort of, uh, this is a funny one, I guess, but I was always sort of fascinated by like triples, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, it was a play that you just never really saw that much. And like, I think Lance Johnson was a guy who was like led the league in triples every year, you know? And to me, it was just sort of some guys would hit home runs. Some guys were singles hitters. And then you'd have guys like that, you know, who'd have certain, certain kind of speed. So, I mean, that's really sort of arcane, I guess, obviously, like on base percentage is, is a, is a, a interesting stat through the years. When you look at guys like, 
you know, I think Lance Berkman had like a on base percentage of well over 400, mm-hmm. you know, he's up there around where Stan usual was. And, you know, a guy like that probably didn't get the hall of fame, uh, uh, recognition that he deserved, but, you know, through the years, I mean, when I was a kid, they used to talk about batting average and now, you know, nobody talks about that or mm-hmm. wins for pitchers. So, you know, now the stats are certainly more reflective and, and they're down in the, you know, they're, much more detailed and, and evocative in terms of what you find, but you know, so it's changed a lot. Um, but yeah, I don't know that I had a particular one that I, I, I guess I used to, I guess my point is that I used to try to use the stats to, to try to draw out, draw out like the human element mm-hmm. and use them to maybe set up different stories uh, rather than just let the stats speak for themselves, I I always thought that was a little bit dry. It's very interesting. All right, this is the final pickle question for you, Jerry. So we've asked all our season three guests this same pickle question, and we've got both both answers. So we're gonna see what your answer is. Do you think a hot dog is a sandwich? I don't. <laughs> hot dog's a hot dog. A hot dog is a hot dog. Yes, thank you. I, to me, yeah, hot dog is a hot dog. Like a sandwich is a tuna sandwich. It's a it's a turkey sandwich. A hot dog is a hot dog, right? I, yeah, it's I, bread, I, but it's in a different form. So, uh, do you guys? I I don't think a hot dog is a sandwich. Uh, to me, it's to me, it's two different entities. That's that's my take on it. I'll I'll, I'll that's a hill I'm willing to. Pretty much, pretty much uh, dying on a so. perfect, perfect take. Again, the, the take doesn't get much better than that. I saw a video the other day of uh, a person, some weirdo that took a hot dog and ate the bottom of it like a taco. Yeah, you know, like he went from the bottom. Yeah, it's just weird. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's like eating pizza with a knife and fork. Oh yeah. Oh oh my gosh. Yes. I just think there are certain institutions that you can't trifle with, and a hot dog is a hot dog. You know, it's yes, just it calling it a sandwich doesn't make it a sandwich. It's it's a hot dog. Are, so, are you are you Italian as well? I am not. You're not. Italian. I like Italian food, but I'm not Italian. Of course, yeah, you can't you can't deny Italian. Food. I'm an Italian, so just seeing all of that kind of infuriates me. If I ever, I even said this before, if I ever told my parents a hot dog wasn't a sandwich, I would end up on the side of the road. It's plain and simple. So, yeah, they yeah. believe a hot dog's a sandwich. Oh no, no, no. Oh, that it was. Oh, so they they agree that it's not a sandwich. Oh, 100 percent. Like, yeah, if I ever told them, I just told them, hey, a hot dog's a sandwich. They're 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 disowning me. Because- oh, okay. Well, at least you know where you stand. That's of good. Course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. All right, Jerry. That it reaches the end of our show. Thank you so much for allowing us to, I guess, bring you on the show. Have a really fun time. I had fun. We, we both hope you had a good time. That's all we really hope to have. Uh, uh, maintaining that professional atmosphere while having a little bit of fun at the same time. We hope you had a good time. No, I did. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, Best of luck to you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Of course. Designated Chatter fans out there, make sure to listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can all follow that on at Designated Chatter. Um, Another great guest today, Jerry Krasik. Thank you again um, for your time. Um, Until next time, though, stay safe, everyone, and we will see you back on the show.